0: Hello and welcome to A History of Hannibal, episode 64, The Prolonged Battle. I am your host, James Redfern, BA. Yes, I have finally finished my undergraduate degree and can't wait to start my postgraduate degree in about two months or so. My university department actually mentioned the podcasts in the graduation ceremony, which was quite cool. Um, yes, anyway, back to uh, business. Marcellus had just taken control of the city of Salapia, which had been betrayed into his hands when he travelled to Samnium. While there, he captured a couple of towns and destroyed a force of 3,000 troops. All this made the proconsul, Fulvius, overconfident in his own attempt to take the town of Herdonia in Samnium, but not too far away from Apulia. They sent word of this to Hannibal in Brutium, who decided to strike quickly, and caught everyone of God by turning up, ready for battle. Hannibal pinned down the Roman infantry, and sent the cavalry around the back. It was very simple, it was his traditional technique, and it was highly effective. The result was a huge victory for Carthage, with the Romans losing anywhere between 7,000 and 13,000. Hannibal took the Roman camp, and then destroyed the town. Wait what? Yes, he destroyed the town he had just raced to save. The townspeople were nervous and felt that Hedonia was vulnerable, and had decided that if Hannibal left them, they would go over to Rome. This was unacceptable to Hannibal. He wasn't going to end his war effort to stay and hold Herdonia's hand, but he wasn't going to leave and just gift the town to the Romans. This left him with only one alternative, to destroy it. The people were moved to the more secure towns in the south of Italy, such as Thurii and Metapontum. While the reaction at Rome to the news of this defeat showed just how nervous they were, Marcellus was full of confidence and marched off after Hannibal, heading into Lucania near Numistro. He marched out to offer Hannibal battle, who quickly accepted. The first day was indecisive, as Roman troops fought against Carthaginians with neither giving way. The next day, Marcellus marched his men out to fight, but the Carthaginians never showed up. It quickly became apparent that Hannibal wasn't there. During the night, Hannibal had set off towards the Puglia. Marcellus quickly followed, and so began what could be called a wild goose chase. Hannibal marched around trying to lull Marcellus into a trap, but Marcellus would always carefully scout out any area before advancing, and would only move during the day. A number of minor battles were fought, but none were decisive. While this was going on throughout the summer, Rome sent representatives north into Etruria to buy grain for the citadel at Tarentum, which was still under siege. As summer drew to a close, the Romans began to think about the consular elections for next year, and were in a rather difficult situation. What should have happened was that the consul in Italy would return to Rome to preside over the elections, but Marcellus wrote to the Senate that he was on Hannibal's tail, and it was highly important that he not let Hannibal get away. This led the Senate to recall Valerius from Sicily, leaving Cincius in control, Valerius returned to Rome. But when he arrived in Rome, the Senate heard word of an invasion force from Africa, which could possibly land in Italy. Therefore, it made no sense for Valerius to rate around in Rome for elections when he was needed in his province. The solution to this problem would be for Valerius to declare a dictator to hold the election while he returned to Sicily, and he declared Messala, one of his subordinates whom he had left in control of the fleet in Sicily. The Senate objected, as a dictator could not be proclaimed if he was outside of Italy. The senators asked him to consult with the people to find out their preferred choice, but he refused to do so, as declaring a dictator was the constitutional right of a consul, not of the people. It appeared they had come to an impasse, something which was confirmed when Valerius snuck out of Rome at night and travelled back to Sicily, leaving the senate in quite a dilly of a pickle. The senate had to write to Marcellus, asking him to declare the man the people had chosen, Fulvius, he who took Capua to be dictator. Marcellus dutifully confirmed their choice. Fulvius sent for Calpurnius, who was commanding a force in Etruria, to take over the command at Capua, before he advanced to Rome. The consular elections got underway, and the first century voted for Fulvius and Fabius. At this, a tribune objected, saying that Fulvius had been consul so recently, and he was currently presiding over the election. How could the committee Centuriata elect him into power when that was the case? The troublesome tribune said that unless Fulvius ordered the sentry to not vote for him, the election would be vetoed. Fulvius objected to the tribune and presented historical precedent for an interrex being elected consul and for rules on term limits being ignored for the public good during the course of the war. The tribunes relented, and the two were elected to the consulship. It was the fourth consulship for Fulvius and the fifth for Fabius. March of 209 rolled round, and Marcellus was allowed to continue his command of chasing Hannibal, and the command of Valerius in Sicily was also extended. As for the new consuls, they were both given commands in Italy. Fabius was to take charge of events at Tarentum, while Fulvius moved into Lucania and Brutium. As usual, the other commands were divided up between the Praetors. At the start of every year, various troop movements took place, And one of these, which happened to happen this year, was the movement of Allied soldiers to Sicily. This happened to cause quite an upset. The Allies finally snapped the depopulation of the region. Every year, men would go off to fight, and they would either die, be taken prisoner by the Carthaginians, or end up growing old abroad. It had, by this point, been seven years since the disaster at Cannae, and the veterans of that battle were still serving abroad. These men were growing old elsewhere, not returning to start families, while their young men were drafted each year. Hannibal still hadn't been dislodged from the country. Surely the Romans could see that they were stuck in a stalemate, which wasn't going to end any time soon. These Latin colonies believed that if the Romans were aware of just how annoyed their allies were, then they would have no choice but to finally agree to a peace treaty. Of the 30 Roman colonies which existed, Twelve registered their grievances with the Senate. Alba, Ardia, Cales, Carcioli, Cerci, Interamne, Nepeta, Setia, Sora, Suessa, Sutrium, and Narnia. If you will allow me a brief digression, yes, I did say Narnia. Narnia is the Latin name for the modern town of Narni in central Italy, with a population of 20,000. A young C.S. Lewis was looking through an atlas when he saw the name and was completely smitten with it, choosing to name the series of books he would write after it, giving us The Chronicles of Narnia. Interestingly, C.S. Lewis was quite inquisitive concerning the ancient world. He was particularly taken with Virgil's Aeneid, writing articles about it and even writing his own translation, which it is said he loved to read to his friends at Oxford University, including J.R.R. R. Tolkien. But now I'm getting really off track. Sorry, I just think all that is really cool. The Consuls were stunned by these cities and told them to think about just what they were doing. This was treason. They should go back to their towns and just think about this. The representatives went nowhere. The Consuls passed the message on to the Senate, which then panicked, but the Consuls tried to keep the situation under control they would fix everything. There was no need to worry. Before they did anything, first they wanted to hear just how the other colonies were feeling. The response from the other 18, Isernia, Ariminum, Beneventum, Brundisium, Cremona, Cossa, Fregale, Freemum, Hadria, Luceria, Norba, Pistum, Placenta, Pontiae, Saticula, Signia, Splesum, and Venusia was that they were not thinking of revolting. They had troops, and they would send what they had been told to send, and could send more if asked. Rome was relieved. As for what to do with the Troublesome Twelve, it was decided to just ignore them. It was felt that silence was the most dignified response. The election for the office of censor was also held, and it was decided to make Fabius the leader of the Senate. When the new senate lists were being drawn up, a few men's names were left off it, including most notably Caecilius Metellus, who, you'll recall, had proposed that the Romans abandon Italy following the defeat of Cannae. When they had finished their business with Rome, the consuls set off. Fulvius first, on his way to Capua, and Fabius a few days later. Fabius directed Fulvius and Metellus to try and attack Hannibal while he would focus on taking Tarentum, as this would be a huge blow to Hannibal's war efforts. He hoped to retake the entire south, so that Hannibal could finally be pushed out of Italy. Fabius used the garrison of 8,000 troops at Regium to cause trouble in Brutium, before setting them upon Calonia. Marcellus was sparked into action by this letter, and set off to find Hannibal, who was, at the time, trying to bring Canusium in Apulia onto his side. He moved away when he heard that Marcellus was approaching. He tried to avoid a full battle, just having minor engagements, but Marcellus managed to attack Hannibal when he was setting up his camp, and the battle began. The first day's fighting was indecisive. Marcellus offered battle the next day, and Hannibal accepted, the Romans were continually pushing them. It was time for another Trasimene, or Cannae. After about two hours of fighting, the Roman right wing began to look shaky, so Marcellus replaced the Allied troops there with his 18th Legion, but this was not particularly well organised, and soon became a rout. Roman losses stood at 2,700. That evening in camp, Marcellus was furious with his men for running away, and he praised the gods that Hannibal had not chased them back to their camp. The men were embarrassed, and they decided they would get their revenge tomorrow. Hannibal was quite bemused at the Romans once again marching out to battle. Livy states in Book 27, Chapter 14, that he said, How very odd. We have an enemy to deal with who seems unable to endure either success or failure. If he wins, he can't keep his hands off the vanquished. If he loses he renews the struggle with the men who beat him, And with that, the Carthaginians returned to the battlefield for a third day. The battle appeared to be going nowhere. Marcellus was commanding the centre of his army, which was made up of those who had fled the day before, as well as the left wing, while the 18th Legion made up the right. Hannibal's Spaniards were providing a match for the legions, when Hannibal decided that he would use his elephants to cause some panic, It seemed like it was working, as chaos sprang upon the front lines, but a Roman military tribune, Gaius Decimus Flavius, rallied some men and charged in, using their pila against the elephants. The elephants were basically sitting ducks, and those that were hit panicked and ran off back into the Carthaginian lines, and those who hadn't been hit followed. The Roman infantry then hit the Carthaginian line, which shattered. Marcellus ordered the Romans to chase down the fleeing Carthaginians. As the Carthaginians ran back to their camp, they found two dead elephants in the gateway, meaning it was a scramble back into camp which caused the worst killing of all. It was a solid victory for the Romans. On this third day, they managed to kill 8,000 Carthaginians while losing 3,000 of their own. When taking into account the second day as well, 8,000 to 6,000 doesn't seem that impressive. This is where we shall leave things for this week. If you've enjoyed the show, remember to visit us in all the usual places online, thehistoryofpodcast.com, facebook.com forward slash thehistoryofpodcast, twitter.com forward slash thehistoryofpod, and historypodcasters.com. I'll see you in two weeks when we carry on our way through 209, as Roman victories begin to stack up.